episode 399 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of many topics, usually of the retro variety. Um, and I will be your host today, Zach Wilkerson. And uh, before we get into today's topic, uh, which is a uh, an interesting one, I think, uh, in the game we're going to be talking about, let me introduce our panel, starting with you, Ben Love. Hi, everybody. And Alex Branichek. Hello. And uh, uh, thanks, both of you, so much for joining me today. Uh, we're going to be talking today about Moon. Uh, it's called the uh, Remix RPG, oftentimes called an anti-RPG. And we'll be sort of talking about sort of our experiences in the opening hours with this uh, very strange game. <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I feel like I knew a fair amount about it just from word of mouth uh, in terms of the way the story played out, but I knew very little about the way the gameplay played out. Um, and and I, I'm excited to talk about it. But before we get to that, I just want to kind of back up and uh, talk about a little bit about like sort of the localization history of this game um, and sort of some of the reasons why it got localized um, and some of the obvious reasons why it probably didn't back in 1997. So uh, as we just said, uh, this was originally a 1997 not really RPG. Uh, in fact, it doesn't play almost anything like an RPG. And uh, it was uh, created by a studio called Love to Lick. Uh, and it was, I think, a lot of former Squaresoft employees. It sort yep. of spun off of Squaresoft. And they decided to kind of make a game that is just like poking fun, uh, in some ways poking fun at RPG elements, but also uh, going a little deeper into some of the more, I guess, uh, almost insidious elements of of what it is to play an RPG. Um, but uh, it does not surprise me in any way, shape, or form that it wasn't localized back in 1997 because, again, it is uh, it does not play like anything uh, that uh, I've played. Really, honestly, um, it, it's a it's a weird combination of things. Um, and then uh, in 2015, obviously, Undertale is released, and uh, Toby Fox talks about the fact that he, even though he hadn't played the game, he was aware of its premise. Um, and I don't think it was ever fully fan translated. Uh, and apparently there were some efforts to fan translate it, but it kept it kept falling by the wayside, falling by the wayside. Uh, but the design philosophy of it in a lot of ways informed what Toby Fox did with Undertale Love uh, is such a, an important part of both of these games. Um, and then uh, Tim Rogers, a former Kotaku writer and obviously the very famous now uh, YouTube reviewer uh, who's extremely entertaining. Uh, it is, becomes involved in the localization and it gets released, I think, in 2019 um, for the Switch. And now it's it's available for a couple of other other platforms as well. Uh, is there any like big historical elements of that uh, story that I've missed? I think, Ben, in particular, you know more about this than I do. Yeah, so um, the history of Love Delic is really interesting. So like you said, it's a bunch of people who were at Squaresoft. So um, you've got Kenichi Nishi worked on Super Mario RPG. Um, Yoshiro Kimura, who now runs Onion Games, who are the people that re-release Moon and they keep making some new games and stuff. They're making uh, Stray Children, which is supposed to come out um, in 2024. Uh, so he worked on Romancing Saga 2 and 3. And then um, you've got a few other people uh, like Kazuyuki Kurashima, who worked on Live Alive. So a lot of pedigree there. Um, from Square developers. And then what's particularly interesting about Moon is after um, it came out and then Love to Lick made a couple other games after that, and then they broke up. And so a bunch of different studios came out of that. And basically everybody who, all these developers that founded a new studio would then go on to make another game just like Moon. So um, you've got... Uh, Van Poole, who is mostly known now for making those Dylan's Rolling Western games, mm -hmm. but they made uh, a game called Indonesia on the PlayStation 2, which is very similar to Moon. Then Kimura would go to form Punchline and make Tulip, which is also very similar to Moon. And um, then Skip um, was founded uh, by Kenichi Nishi, and they made um, both Gift Pia and then Chibi Robo which are also games that have a lot of similarities to Moon. So um, it didn't just uh, inspire a bunch of games, like indie games that we know of now, but also a bunch of games right immediately after that, most of which never got localized either. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating how uh, they sort of carve their own sort of niche and then like split off and they continue to work within that niche. A niche that, um, yeah, I mean, I think Tulip made it over here, right? Um, mm -hmm. But, and Chibi uh, Robo, yeah, yeah, 
uh, but not a lot else has. And um, it, it, it's interesting to me that there's like this whole almost subgenre that is created by these people and sort of, you know, continued by these people. And Onion Games, obviously, um, sort of the biggest um, uh, sort of maker of those uh, well-known uh, developer, but they're not very well-known at all, right? Um, <laughs> and, Stray, and Stray Children uh, is something that I'm curious uh, to see how they're up to um, take some of those ideas into a more modern um, situation. A Alex, is there anything that you're aware of that we're missing at this point in terms of our conversation here? Uh, no, not really. Uh, it's just, yeah, really interesting that uh, particularly like these employees who went to left square for love to lick were working on kind of their more experimental titles like live live and things like that. So it makes sense that uh, once they, found their own studio they got to flex a lot of their uh creativity a lot more and and kind of reach outside the genre and i mean as we're going to discuss soon like this is ultimately as an anti-rpg it ends up actually being a lot more of an adventure game in terms of its gameplay and um uh while, while still like working with and subverting those rpg uh conventions so uh, yeah really fascinating product and history yeah, and it's. I think it's particularly interesting because, like, in 1997, um, these aren't really independent developers, obviously, but they're still not uh, working with a, a big studio, and we're not seeing sort of the the subversions of games that we see now, which has become so common that it's almost like you know throw throw a quarter in any direction, mm -hmm. and you'll find you'll find an indie game that's playing around with genre to the point where they become so popular. And Undertale being maybe the most famous example of it, but. Um, yeah, I, I I think that it, it like when I'm playing it, uh, thinking back to the fact that like this is a 1997 game is the thing that like just keeps like blowing my mind about it, um, and and what it's doing uh, so early in in the development cycle of video games in general, um, I think is really fascinating and cool. Yeah, in a way, it makes um like it almost feels appropriate that it just got uh finally localized and ported here just a couple of years ago because it does feel like it's just part of the early lineage of what we now have is like the indie RPG uh, scene that's that, that you can like explore on, on steam and itch and, and what have you, like a lot of that kind of creativity um, uh, like can, can be drawn back here with, with uh, moon and the stuff that love to uh, went on to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and what's funny about it is that you can, uh, without it even being obvious, even in the opening hours of this game, so just kind of get into the game itself a little bit here, even in the opening hours of this game, you can see them at, at poking fun at, uh, I say the early hours, I say like the opening 15 minutes, you can see them poking fun at it, but in a way that is uh, maybe a little bit, uh, you know, it, it, it might have taken a second if you didn't know what you were getting into. So uh, those of you who don't haven't played Moon, the sort of the premise is that there's like this kid who's playing this video game uh, that I believe is also called Moon, right? Mm -hmm. If I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. And uh, he's uh, playing this hero. And, and the game that he's playing is very much uh, like to the point to where like it's, I don't know how they didn't get in trouble for this unless Square or like, unless Enix gave them credit for it, is obviously like a takeoff on Dragon Quest. Uh, you're, the, the fights are exactly the same. Uh, some of the settings are exactly the same. Start in a uh, castle, talking yeah. to the king. Yeah, yeah exactly. he tells you how much experience you need for the next yeah. level. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, they do some really fun stuff with that later. But uh, and I, I even think like the opening scroll at first where I'm like, oh, like it's like giving you like the, the, the background story of what it is. And it's all this convoluted stuff. And I'm like, oh, I don't follow this. Huh, okay. And then it goes faster and faster, and the kid is obviously just scrolling through all this text that he doesn't want to yeah. read. Yeah, <laughs> I so, thought that like, was a great touch. <laughs> absurdly convoluted. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious, and I just could imagine like Tim Rogers sitting there localizing it, just like with a smile on his face, uh, laughing about how absurd it was. Yeah, it's funny. There's like a part where it's saying that the world is under cover of darkness, and it says the holy undulations converted into unholy undulations. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah it's super funny um and, and it and it took me a second uh even as a person who knew what this game was going to be like to realize that i wasn't supposed to understand what that was and i just imagine someone coming into this game not knowing what it is um and just how they would react to that i think it would be really fun uh, to see that um but then you like sort of uh see the kid playing through the game and you see him like selecting these different save files as he gets further through and then eventually he has to fight the great dragon at the end who apparently is responsible for those undulations. <laughs> um, 
And then uh, right as you're like finishing off the final battle and like you're doing like these <laughs> absurd moves, like the first time you hit a slime, you use like this super powered magic move that just like obliterates it. It's really funny. Um, and then uh, obviously you're, you're finishing the game and this kid has played it for like 20 hours or so. Uh, and you can see the save files look almost exactly like Final Fantasy four, which is really fun. And uh, then your mom tells you to go to bed. Uh, because that's what my mom was usually telling me to do when I was in the middle of playing an RPG, uh, was to go to bed or get off or it's time to, I don't know, come have dinner. We had a, we had a Super Nintendo in the kitchen while I was a kid. It's a long story. Uh, we had a Super Nintendo in the kitchen, and I remember I had to run through the Tower of Fanatics, I'm not kidding, like six different times because I could never finish it because my mom said it was time for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to walk up that stupid tower so many times. When I did it this last time when we were podcasting about it, I was like, I'm putting on infinite health mode and I am blasting through this immediately because <laughs> I still think about that every time I go in. Uh, but the, the minute the kid goes to sleep, uh, he gets sucked into, uh, I think we eventually, I don't think we know this yet, uh, but I just you know, know about the game, the, what's called Real Moon, uh, where it's like the real story behind uh, what is happening in Moon. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you're, you're this kid who um, you run into, like, all these people talking in town. And can we talk about the sound effects for a second of the people who are talking? Because I think they're infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot stand them. <laughs> yeah, they're like, um, they're like recordings or clippings of, like, uh, voice recordings. So sometimes you can make out, like, words being said in them, but they're usually sped up or scrambled. Um, and sometimes the characters, like depending on what type of character they are, they'll have like a particular type of voice being used. Um, so like, uh, I, I remember the guy who sells you records, he has like a, almost like a radio kind of voice when he talks to you. Um, so it's, it's like a neat little touch, but it is, you know, they're just scrambled nonsense that they say basically. Yeah. I'd I'd really like to know where they got all these different voice clippings from because Sometimes I catch some like pretty like strange words and, and I've also caught words like in different languages. So it seems like depending on the NPC, mm-hmm. they'll have like a different language. Like I think um the main character is grandma Gramby is uh has like French voice clippings. I yes. know the the spirit that um like levels you up has Polish voice clippings. Um, but for the most part it seems to be English and Japanese, but it was interesting to catch uh yeah, voice clippings from like other languages I know, and just be like, "What? What is going on here? What? What is the source of all these?" And I think the record collector guy says nostalgia, which I think is hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like that. That sounds like a record guy. I mean, like it's it's a really um like it, it's it's so striking. Um, but like in the opening hours when like they're all like you you show up in that town, um, and they're all talking at the same time. I was like, I need this sound to stop right now. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like going into the menu settings, like, is there a way for me to turn this down? The answer is no, of course there's not. It's a 1997 game. Yeah. <laughs> I have sound mixing, mixing options, but I eventually got used to it, but it, it definitely graded on me. But yeah, like you, you, you sort of get plopped into this opening town uh, and you see the hero walking through and just sort of like uh, smacking people as he's walking by. Um, and it seems like he's almost like this empty vessel shell sort of thing. I don't really know what that's all about quite yet. Um, but he, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of wreaking havoc uh, on the town almost immediately. Um, and then uh, when you walk outside, you see him just like murder this like helpless slime, which you previously played through yourself. Um, and then you find out that uh, one of your jobs is to like restore the the spirits of these different monsters who the hero is destroying as he's going through these towns, which kind of becomes like sort of part of the gameplay loop. And then eventually you run into your Granby and you sort of find out that she thinks you're this kid who you think who everybody thinks is dead. Maybe the kid is dead. I don't really know what the whole story behind that is. I have some guesses, but yeah. And, and then that sort of becomes the gameplay loop of you like sort of walking behind the hero um, and uh, fixing his problems, but also fixing the problems or, or fixing his, uh, you know, horrors that he commits, but also helping the people around the town. Um, it's just like all sort of like uh, what you're doing with that. So what did you guys think about sort of the opening uh, moments of this, this this game? Yeah, I thought it was uh, like really clever setup. Uh, clearly, um, you you experienced that that first version of Moon at the beginning of the game to be like, oh, yeah, this is this is Dragon Quest. This is like the generic 
RPG and then you start seeing things from like an outsider's perspective of just like this hero is so like like visually weird looking with just like a just an, a, a comically enormous sword just like tied to him because like it's like goes well beyond his height and he's just kind of like clomping around chasing dogs around town um and it's just like okay he, he's going into people's houses uh taking their stuff but ultimately they're like well he's the only one who can kill the dragon so you know we gotta we gotta support him um so it just creates like this whole outsider perspective that that's a really just clever and, and, and cute subversion of, of kind of the, the generic rpg uh while at the same time kind of just like showing the horrors of just like mass murdering of animals that the hero ends up committing yeah, I think it's a really clever um, premise, especially because of how like weird the game will get, you know, becomes as you progress and the characters and everything um, that they chose this kind of, you know, premise that you're, oh, you know, you're in the world of an RPG and you have to like react or fix the things that are happening that the hero is doing. You know, a lot of the games that were inspired by Moon that would come later kind of abandon that. But I think it's a really good premise to get the player hooked in, especially when they maybe don't have any reference for a game like this, um, because it, you, any, you know, you're just naturally invested in that idea because you've likely played so many RPGs, and it's like, oh, well, this is like a really interesting, you know, way to get me in into it um, and kind of give you a, a way to connect to it, um, because so many parts of the rest of the game can be a little esoteric or hard to understand, but that kind of ties everything together. Yeah, like, and, and RPGs at that time, like, in the, the early to mid-90s, like, there was far less, like, kind of narrative and, mm -hmm. like, experimentation with, like, different worlds and stuff. Like, you're, you're mostly just getting, like, a, a, a slight deviation of the Dragon Quest formula. So people who play video games regularly, like, they were just exposed to so much of what this game shows you that uh having it just be like a direct uh subversion of that and just like you know you're you're in this world and just seeing what uh what normally happens from a different perspective is just just a really clever clever narrative move mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think that like sort of it's um looking at sort of like the static nature especially of early 90s rpgs um like of how we sort of see the world through um a very sort of limited scope and, and you can take that um, to a larger um, philosophical end, I suppose, if you want, although I'm not really sure that I want to go there. But um, I, I like sort of the way that um, we we experience the narrative through one lens. And I think that, that obviously like that has become less true in video games, but it's still a thing that you see, right? Like you, you're still going through and experiencing it from one perspective, doing it one way. You're, you're given a task, you go do it. And, uh, you know, obviously games have started to uh, look at that, um, like something like Undertale or Nier Automata or whatever. But um, I think it's a, it's a really interesting uh, way of uh, criticizing uh, a way, not criticizing, just like sort of uh, subverting uh, and, and playing around with a certain way of telling a story. Yeah, and I think too, it's like so much of what you see the hero doing at the beginning is like a, power fantasy and it's like you're getting the uh, the the other side of what that power fantasy would look like to the the people or creatures inhabiting the game right so i think that's not really a thing that people often think of when they think of rpgs like oh this is such a power fantasy i'm gonna make myself super powerful and destroy everything and like what that would look like but it makes you examine that idea um in a way that i think is pretty interesting um, and like make you reckon with oh well think of, it makes you think of all the rpgs that you've played and then like <laughs> am i having this effect on the world of those games that um the hero is having in, in moon you know yeah because it also just shows how much those classic rpgs like pander to you as a player mm -hmm. from both like a, a narrative and game design perspective where it just like yeah. yeah you're you're totally entitled to just go into people's houses yeah. uh go into all of their <laughs> rooms and raid their drawers for uh for their clothing and whatever right. um uh yeah so so in that sense it, it it's it's very very well done and and quite funny to to see as well yeah and i think it's interesting too because like really early rpg type things like think about something like ultima like that did a much better job of addressing um the consequences mm -hmm. of your actions Absolutely, right yeah, yeah. ultima um, 4 yeah yeah like i couldn't 
I couldn't progress in Ultima 4 because I was so little and I was just like, yes, I will try to steal from you. And then I just get smacked down immediately. <laughs> um, and, and I think that you can sort of see the... Uh, it, that that was a sort of I, I think PC games probably did a better job of it, but I wasn't playing PC games uh, when I was younger. Did a better job of looking at consequences, uh, whereas this game is like okay, like all these console RPGs, and there's a reason that Dragon Quest sort of popularizes the genre, right? Because it creates that power fantasy where like you can fail, but you're not going to make choices that are going to be so, um, you know, off the beaten path that like they, they can't, they're not going to like ruin your ability to progress or whatever. Uh, that power that that is given to you there, whereas this is like, all right, let's kind of pull some of those those ideas from those earlier PC games um, and sort of lay, lay them over top of the classic console JRPG experience in a way that I think uh, is really clever. Yeah, because because even in those like RPGs, when you were helping like NPCs, like in a seemingly like altruistic way uh like from a narrative perspective like in reality as a player you're completing side quests in order to to get more stuff to get better stuff to to be stronger and and continue your journey so so here it's just great that the the main narrative and there doesn't seem to be a ton of like i guess like main narrative is also side quests like you're just trying to help (laughs) as many people as possible but you're only doing it to like boost your compassion and, and get love and spread love throughout the world that's that's the only incentive well, I mean, that's true to some degree, but I still think that it, I, I think that um, you you have to, in order to progress the game, which we haven't gotten to yet. I guess we can talk about that now. Like the the way the gameplay loop works is like you're given a certain amount of stamina and like there's basically like a day night cycle and you can sort of see in the top left corner uh, what time of day it is now and then what time of day it is that you're going to collapse and get a game over. Uh, so and you can you, you basically have a certain amount of time to, to complete a certain number of tasks and then you need to go to bed. Uh, before that meter runs out or you will die which i'm sure uh everybody who's on this podcast the first time through they were like walking around just kind of clomping around the town through wooden shoes it sounds like and uh you just drop dead um and it's like oh game over and then you just lose all your progress there's no auto saving anything like that you save when when you hit the bed and and so like by uh it, kind of sticking with the monsters, I will kind of talk about the side quests in a second here, but um, by restoring the monsters to their uh, bodies, their souls to their bodies after the hero has um, murdered them, you, you gain more love. And then uh, the more love you gain, uh, the more you, the way, only way you can actually like kind of expend that love is by going to bed. And there's some like weird creature, I don't even know what the heck it is, uh, that um, says like, hey, you've helped these creatures out or these people out um and we're going to raise your level to i don't know love savant or something <laughs> um i'm a love intern more, right now personally. yeah love intern yeah uh i don't know i'm like level 22 or something i can't remember what it's called they're basically calling me like a love expert at this point I'm like, <laughs> uh and uh the more love you get then the more you can uh explore so you get sort of the ability to go around a little bit more so i still feel like there is uh there is an incentive to complete these side quests. And I think uh, there was one that, that I did, uh, which, oh gosh, it's like one of the most racist parts of a video game I've seen in a long time, um, that I had to have a day and a half's worth of love to travel to this place to go do like this mini game. Oh, um, the, so, yeah. <laughs> the island yeah. you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. But, uh, um, but so I still think there's an incentive to it, but it still feels like at least the incentive is always helping at the same time, right? So I don't know. What do you guys think about sort of that, the, the, the way that that all kind of works? Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting um, the way that so all the quests that you do there, I mean, most of them are folk. If if it's not the animals, which are just like returning their souls to their bodies, then most of them revolve around um, like human connection or making connections or bonds between the characters. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times when you're going through the process of doing these side quests, basically. You will get items from the characters that you will need to then progress, which is very typical adventure game stuff. But I think what's interesting about it is that rather than taking like a, you know, typical like point and click where you you get like a tool and then you're going to use this tool to solve a puzzle. It's usually an item that is like meaningful or sentimental either Mm -hmm. to the person who's giving it to you or to the person that you're then going to show it to. 
And um, I think that's kind of an interesting little wrinkle that kind of, um, you know, reinforces the themes of the game that it's like about forming these human connections and that makes it feel a little different than your typical gaining items in an adventure game or an RPG, uh, even if like the basic mechanics of it are very similar. Yeah, and I thought it was quite interesting how the first couple hours of the game, when you are when you only basically have enough stamina slash love to just navigate around Castletown, uh, felt pretty distinct from the things that come after when you're allowed to explore the the more open world. Because Castletown, uh, honestly, reminds me a lot of Majora's Mask, and I yeah. wouldn't be surprised <laughs> at all if uh, the developers of Majora's Mask played Moon and and were inspired by it. Uh, because basically what you're doing before you even have like animals to save is you're just talking to the different NPCs in Castletown, uh, hearing about their problems and basically just like following them around. Uh, and they're all, they all have like schedules, mm-hmm. uh, which just brings them around town and uh, teaches you more about the characters. And if you do that uh, enough, then you'll you'll probably learn something that allows you to solve a little puzzle like you'll like the bartender for example uh tells you once you have like enough stamina to last until like nighttime uh, you buy a drink there she tells you about uh, a ring that meant a lot to her and she lost it and then you have to go go find that ring and bring it back to her and and that's like how you get some love that you're basically getting your first like love points and level ups just from uh following these people's lives around the castle town learning about them and and helping them out which which i thought was really cool uh, especially as a, a huge fan of Majora's Mask. Yeah, and there's like a dense density to like the quests around Castletown because like you'll get them as you start getting the stamina to explore around. Like I, uh, one of my favorite ones was like there was this old man who was just super grumpy and kicked me out of his house because he hates the Westerners who live next door. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, and if you sneak in while the windmill is going, I think this is the windmill one, um, you sneak in and then like you can figure out that he likes this particular song to be played and like you play it outside of his house almost like a say anything moment um and then he comes outside and he like gives you some love um and yeah i i think that it's uh it's really interesting also like the the puzzly nature of it right like you have to kind of figure out like when can you come come into this place when is this person going to be active do i need to talk to them when they're walking to this particular place mm-hmm. um there are some people who actually and i haven't even gotten this deep into it like there are certain days of the week uh, that you can only do certain things, and I haven't, I haven't had to do any puzzles yet where uh, I've only approached on that day of the week. Uh, because I will admit, like I, I really respect the way that this game is doing it, but there are times that I get a little frustrated by just how like particular the way that I have to solve things is, and sometimes it just feels like I'm just kind of walking around and like things like sort of randomly happen as well. Yeah, um, yeah, it's very trial and error. Yeah, um, yeah. And sometimes, yeah, just pure randomness. And I mean, when we get to the animals, like, like they they have like these descriptions, right, that serve as like hints for how to revive them. And yeah, some sometimes the the hints are are pretty interesting and engaging, and you start thinking about it, and a solution comes to mind. And sometimes, like, you're just walking around, and then you see the spirit of the animal already, and you touch it, and then it's just like, oh, I, I guess I solved the puzzle, <laughs> <laughs> even though like you just randomly stumbled upon it. Yeah, uh, and I guess we can talk about the animals too, because as you mentioned, like uh, outside of just like kind of walking around town, and I think that uh, as you're walking around town, like you might get like someone's business card and mm-hmm. you show it to the certain person and they're like, hey, on the back, it says, come meet the king in his chambers at night away from the counselor. They're like, oh, and like the king is like, yeah, that it, was a really cool moment. Yeah, I thought that was like one of my favorite like discoveries uh, that I just made on my own, but. Um, the animals, when you find them every time, like you get like this little message, as you said, that says like, hey, um, uh, this person doesn't like sound or this 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 animal doesn't like sound or something. And then you have to kind of figure out like, hey, what does that mean? Um, and, you know, there are times where I was like, oh, that that, that makes sense. And there are other times where like. I, I and I, I'm sure Tim Rogers, uh, who probably had a lot of fun putting these little clues together that had to be based on what we would understand, but are also obviously based on the original Japanese. Um, like, how how did how did you decide how to make this more or less opaque? And most of the time, I feel like by the time I figured it out, I was like, oh, that makes sense now that I figured it out. But like, the clue didn't get me there. Yeah, Rand- randomness got me there. Um, or like later, there's this area that has like these. Um, things that like rate rise and fall based on the time of oh, day. Oh, the cactus, yeah, yeah. 
And that area drives me insane because I feel like I have to go through like a whole day cycle to get like a single animal almost every time. Like there's this mole that I can only get in the bottom left corner at night, but it has like it's during the day, but I have to go there at night and then wait for a half a day cycle to go. And like, oh, there he is. Cool. I just spent 20 minutes to get this two points of love. Cool. Um, so there are times that I find it a little annoying um, and like just like not super fun to engage with, but it's just like so fascinating in the way that it's doing it that I respect it even if I don't always love it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it's really interesting how they came up with so many different ways for you to 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 um, like capture the animals, despite that there's like very little that like mechanics in this game, like you really can't do very much at all. It's like you can show items to people, you can mm-hmm. pick things up, you can, you know, talk to or, you know, use the interact button to catch the animal and that's it. And yet there's so many different ways that they um, implemented like little puzzles um, for you to still get them and them all be different and, um, you know, kind of challenging in that way. Um, I think it's pretty, pretty cool that they were able to figure out so many different ways. But the flip side of that is that a lot of them are like way outside the box, like thinking (laughs) and just would not be that easy to figure out uh, without a guide. So, you know, I think I think it's some of it is like the limitations that they were under um, make some of them like really esoteric. But, um, you know, I think a lot of that's intentional, too. Yeah, that's a good point about like how varied the the gameplay can feel with with so few verbs as a player that you have Um, that that's a that's a pretty impressive game design achievement alone. Um, And yeah, like like another kind of more frustrating aspect of the game is like the the backtracking like you do get like a fast travel tool uh slash plant uh companion um that uh can can help you like get to areas you've already visited a bit quicker but it only works one way so ultimately like you still have to do uh quite a bit of backtracking and a lot of that is just slowly clomping around on foot so that can also feel kind of tedious especially before you have like enough love slash stamina to just kind of be walking like super freely uh, you still have to be like mindful about like making sure you get to bed before you faint and things like that but the backtracking does one the way i can justify it from a game design perspective is that chances are you're not going to know the solutions to all the animal corpses you come across uh, first time around. At least I didn't. Um, but as you're backtracking, like it allows you to see those corpses again, revisit the hint, and maybe like a solution will now occur to you. And, and that happened to me a few times. And that just made the fact that I do have to like just clop around the world so much uh, a little more interesting. So even though like there are multiple aspects of this game that are like feel frustrating, especially like by modern standards, like I can't deny that it it all feels like very well considered from a design perspective. It it helps that the game isn't very like punishing. Like you don't really like lose. I mean, it can be frustrating if you stay out, you know, past your stamina, and then you have to like you get a game over and you have to restart from that Mm -hmm. day. But outside of that, there's no you know there's not really points where you lose health or there's not really any other game over states. So you can kind of like explore freely and do whatever you want, as long as you're mindful of what your stamp, where your stamina is at. Um, and there's not really a bunch of like hazards and things to look out for. And like later games that um, some of the love Delic developers would make do have that, like Tulip is very punishing and you yeah, have health. That. Yeah. And you can lose health from like basically a lot of things if you do things even a little bit wrong you'll lose health and that game becomes like super punishing because of it so i like that this game kind of understands that with the amount of experimentation and wandering you're going to have to do to not make it so punishing um outside of if you're not paying attention to your stamina but you can get the food and you know extend your stamina and stuff so that can get you out of like most bad situations it's it's amazing how, especially in the early game, like uh, a walk back to a house can be like so stressful. Oh my god, I know. <laughs> You're like, I was like, uh, I'm like walking, and like it, I guess we have mentioned that like you start walking like a little bit more l- laboredly. I guess is the bad mm-hmm. way, way to say it. Um, and it, you can it, it just it in a game that is not very stressful. It is definitely like a very like 
Um, it, it feels like mostly a pretty chill experience, but that walk back <laughs> uh, can be extremely stressful. Um, yeah, and yeah, you, I, you have I, one cookie from Gramby and you yeah. eat it. It's just like, this gives me like 30 more seconds. Come on, yeah. let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is definitely a way of doing it. And I, and I agree. I think that the way that the game is put together feels very intentional uh, that it forces you to engage with the world. And it, it's very nonlinear, which I guess we haven't said, like you can kind of just go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you have the stamina to do it, you can just walk here, there, anywhere, whatever. Um, oh my God. But, it's an open world. Right. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it is really. Uh, and I was able to get even to like this, like super high tech area where like, I'm like, I don't have the items to really engage in this space yet. Uh, but uh, and yeah, it it, and it also kind of getting to that, like the, how to get to that high tech world, you have to have like these passes uh, to get in. And there's like mm-hmm. a couple of different ways to get them. Uh, you can basically get them from a woman who is uh, like the Westerners who live next to that grumpy old man, um, or you can just like pay for it. <laughs> um, and then if you go and you show that pass to the king, he's like mad that his is a different color. <laughs> and so he gives you the better one because the king is like a delightful character. I love how he has like a billboard outside of the castle. It says what level the hero is at right now. He's like, it's he's level two. He's he's going to make it. And he's the one who's writing these news stories, apparently. <laughs> and how the king is just like sort of this doofus. Um, yeah, he's always making his little crayon drawings. And yeah. you can go in his room and look at his like crayon drawings of his like master plans and stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's super fun. Uh, and, you know, uh, one thing we haven't talked about either is like they, they're all these like mini games that are sort of like spread throughout the game, too, that are also that and sometimes actually like get your progression a little bit if you can't pass them. So there's like this uh, guy who uh, I don't remember. He's like trying to worship some God, I think. Um, and you have to like do like this sequence of different puzzles oh, where yeah. one oh, of yeah. them is like. Yeah. So he thinks that um, he thinks that the hero is God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you have to like uh, remember how he says certain things. And mm-hmm. man, I was stuck on that for way longer than I would like to admit uh, because it varies. Like I was trying to screenshot it and it wasn't working and it goes so fast that like it didn't it didn't function for me. Or uh, the one that I really didn't like is when you get flight off, get flown off to like this island, uh, Bali Bali Island, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're trying to play drums with these monkeys with like this really, really over the top uh, racist depiction of an islander. Um, and like it's uh, it, it, sometimes I think the mini games are cool and fun. Sometimes I think they are obtuse, um, but it's all like like it's all really varied, um, as you guys were saying, like within this like sort of like small space that obviously didn't have a lot of budget to do things with. They're like really creative with the ways they're doing it. And there's one where uh, you're trying to guess what music <laughs> uh, this DJ is playing. And I didn't have the money to buy the records from him. So I just had to like literally screenshot the descriptions of every single uh, record and then like he would say like it's like this and then i would go and i would look at every single screenshot to figure out I'm like okay and then eventually i managed to get it and then the reward was not worth it <laughs> whatever it was um so like there's so many different ways and places to engage with this game that i think it's really uh interesting what they're able to do with such a limited sort of um gameplay mechanic element yeah, the the reward wasn't worth it. the re- The reward is love. It's spreading love, Zach. <laughs> You're missing the entire point of this game. <laughs> yeah, the um the mini. So there's one mini game. Um, the the Jinkistan or whatever that have you guys gotten to that one yet? I don't uh, believe sure. so. Okay, so that one. Um, they actually so Onion Games released a game not that long ago called Monomore, which is like a uh, basically like an upgraded version of that mini game. Um, and I was reading an interview with Kimura and he was saying that like everybody hates that mini game in Moon and he was like not happy with it. So he wanted to like go back to that mini game and like make a new version of it. That's like the best version or whatever. So they're still like going back to, you know, this game and taking elements of it and trying to like, you know, redo it or revisit it, which I think is really interesting. And that's a game you can buy on Steam now, actually. Yeah, I also just like how some of the mini games are just contextualized with like the the larger world. Like the is it Adder who's the the priest? Yeah, Adder. Yep. Yeah. So like the, that whole like quest line like is is also just like showing how like people can use like religious belief to uh, exploit other people. Like like after you pass like his his tests of like uh, 
like identifying uh his his different like voice lines that he does or like identifying like little facial expressions he does which i, I thought were just like really cute uh mini game uh solutions um that uh he he then like decides to like that he he'll, he'll charge you for um <laughs> like getting some uh insight and and hints about like what other npcs in the game you can still get love from or like with the the uh records record uh seller um like that that whole like like you can like yeah there, there's actually like records in the game that you can just scroll through it's like done in like a very like satisfying way kind of like replicating like being in a record store where you get to like see these graphics of like each of the the covers of the single and then you get to hear like the review which is just like a a ni nicely written little summary of just like what what it sounds like and then once you have these once you like buy in the the records and invest in them a bit like that becomes essentially your your soundtrack for playing the mm -hmm. game because this is a game that has like very minimal like diegetic music in the game like i think castle town during the day is one of the the few places that actually like have like yeah an actual, actual overworld music, yeah. theme otherwise the, like you're Cl just Claire de lune outside of your granny's house, house. Yeah, yeah 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 that, that's that's a great and one and then the mushroom yeah. forest has music too but oh uh, yeah yeah but uh it, it's just cool that otherwise like you can decide as a player oh do i just want to like stroll through and, and listen to to the nature sounds of each of the different uh environments i'm, I'm strolling through or do I want to put on some tunes that I, I decided to like buy off of whim because of uh, the way I because I, I liked the specific cover of this single or I liked the the way that the the seller described the the sound. Uh, it's really cool. It, it allows you to like personalize your your play experience a bit in a way I really like. It it, it kind of gets with the the whole like approach and how you want uh, play the music that you want sort of. Uh, play through it at your pace uh and you know I, i've been playing like uh whatever the song that the old man liked it's kind of been like my background for most of it and it just makes it all feel a little more exciting to me mm -hmm. <laughs> um which is like sort of what i want right so it, I, I like that it allows you to experience it uh in the way that you want to um and also kind of like uh, the different ways you discover things like one of my favorite side quests was uh related to uh your dog i can't remember the name of the dog um uh tau tau yeah yeah uh, where you're training him with bones because Grammy is sick um, and like you're trying to train him and you also like at night you can follow him and then eventually you can find a hole that he's digging and if you wait long enough you find like some arrow I don't even know what the point of it is along with some treats of his and like I, I kind of how uh, and also yeah, you need to use him like barking at certain moments while his night walk is happening yeah yeah to get some of those things to happen um, and that felt like really fun for me to discover. Um, and also because it's a dog and it was really fun to train the dog and it was like a really easy mini game. Um, but yeah, it, it's just that there's so many like little pockets of things to discover. Uh, and I will admit that like, I wish that like it would give me like, I don't know, like a Rolodex of all the descriptions of the monsters um, so that I didn't have to like try to like go look at it, remember or something to track things that is not literally paper and pencil which is what i've had to do yeah <laughs> yeah there is a... nice to have like a, a bomber's guide in the style yeah, yeah. of majora's mask yeah. Yeah, yeah you can go on the um the there's the tv and you can watch oh, the program yeah. and it'll yeah. tell you like which ones you have mm -hmm. but um that's like pretty much the only guidance that you get mm -hmm. yeah there isn't a ton but it's still it's, it's still really fun to engage with are there any other side quests or like early game things that you guys really enjoyed that you wanted to talk about uh yeah there's a one of my favorite side quests in the game is uh the one of the guardsmen in the castle uh Bilby. So if you go to there's like a balcony that has binoculars on it like at the furthest most oh, part of the that's, castle. That's there for a reason. That's cool. Yeah, so you can well you can use the binoculars and you can like look into like a woman's apartment <laughs> which is a little oh, weird. Yeah. Rear window great, style. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but um other than that, so he will go out there only on like solar days um, and he's like flying a paper airplane that he made. And he tells you the story that like him and his, you know, he and his wife got divorced and he has like a seven year old son and he doesn't get to see his son that much anymore. But he promised his son that he would make like the perfect paper airplane. And so he goes out there uh, every solar day and like throws the airplane. And so if you keep going out there on those days, he'll slowly get a little bit better and the plane will go a little bit further. And then um, the the toy kid, uh, Noge, the little puppet kid. Oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah. He comes out there 
um, like the third time you go out there and teaches um, Bilby how to like make the plane and fly oh goodness, further. That's so cool. That's really yeah. Cool. I, haven't, I haven't encountered <laughs> that yet. Yeah. yeah so it's like this really heartwarming moment between the little boy puppet and uh, Bilby, where he's kind of getting that experience with his son, even though he's like far away from his son, which is just like a really touching, like heartfelt um, little side quest um, that you can do. And then that it'll, you know, no gay. If you do that, then there's a part later with the little boy, the puppet boy um, that he also has like a a quest that comes from that later. But um, that's like one of the early things you can do that I thought was like really cool. That sounds delightful. And I will be doing that the minute I spin it back up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That sounds that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, I thought it was, it was fun. Uh, I haven't encountered like that aspect of Bilby yet, but I have encountered him in the bar because he goes there some nights and he's just drowning away his sorrows. And he told me about his divorce and things like that. And <laughs> that's just like the kind of like personality and flavor like I, w- I was looking for with this game. And I know it's like it also implied that the... Um, the the baker the bread maker uh he he's also like an an alcoholic uh i don't know what like his exact side quest is like if there's there's more i can do to you to... have to go like right after the doors close i think oh uh, right after nightfall and you, you get some pretty pretty good weirdness from that oh so I have okay done that one. <laughs> oh that's a good tip I'll, I'll be looking into that shortly then i was just gonna say you sh- if you notice that um bilby's in the bar then you should go back to the castle and see what the other guardsman is doing because <laughs> okay. he also does stuff when the other guardsman's not there to watch him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think that's one of like, you could probably get through this whole game and not experience any of the stuff we just discovered. Right. Um, yeah. Cause you, you only need like four, I think it's four and a half days worth of like love stamina to actually see the ending. So you don't oh, have okay. to do every single thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I like that it gives you that sort of that ability to like sort of run into these things, but you don't have to. Uh, but I kind of want to see all of it <laughs> uh, before I clear, just because I think so much of it is so fun. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the the hidden stuff has been like the most rewarding aspects mm-hmm. of of the story so far. And I, I haven't even uh, got to Bali Bali Island yet, which I'm guessing is like where you go with the the birdcage ride. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The, the first time I attempted that, I, I did not last long into that ride. I'm like, <laughs> please land bird. You're actually going to make me die. <laughs> well, I thought for sure that I was going to die because I had maybe just a little over a day and a half left. And then I was like, oh, once I hit the ground, whatever I do there, I'm just going to die. But actually, as long as you have a day and a half, you're fine. Because I think at this point I could do it then. As soon as you're as soon as you're done with that. Um, it's, I, I found that minigame pretty challenging. So. Um, but it, it, it's a pretty good reward. I actually think you might have to do it. Um, I think it's one of the things you need to clear the okay, game. Okay, okay. I think, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, that that's uh, sort of our experiences with the opening hours of Moon. We still have a lot of side quests to experience and uh, the ending, which I hear is really cool of this game. And I'm excited to chat about it, which we will be doing again in a couple weeks. Uh, so uh, make sure you tune in for that. But uh, let's kind of talk about what's coming up next. Um, and kind of come into some housekeeping stuff. So, as I said, in two weeks, we will talk about Moon. And usually, you might notice that game journals are usually back-to-back. But uh, next week is episode 400. Yes, that's right. We've <laughs> we managed to record 400 episodes of this uh, show at this point. Um, and uh, Slosi will be hosting that. And it's uh, sort of, a, we'll say, a, a Shark Tank-like experience. Uh, I will say that we may have already uh, recorded it and that maybe it was a super fun time. Uh, so that that's what's coming up over the next couple of weeks. Um, in February, I know we have a pretty rough plan of what we're going to be doing for some of the off topics, but I know that our game journal for February will be Dragon Quest Eleven in celebration of the Year of the Dragon. Um, and I'm excited to listen to those episodes because Dragon Quest Eleven is one of my all-time favorite games. Mm-hmm, I didn't here. necessarily have the time to carve out a hundred hours to play it again, uh, <laughs> but I am excited to listen to those. Uh, listen to those. Episodes. How dare you, Zach? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm too busy. I don't know, uh, wasting my life on Soulsborne games or something. Um, yeah, so says the guy who just played like six <laughs> Soulsborne games. <laughs> Look, I I have moved on. I'm playing Yakuza Zero right now in preparation for. Uh, Yakuza 8. <laughs> um, so uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us retro at rpgfan.com. Uh, Slosi checks that pretty regularly. We love feedback there. Uh, you can also give us feedback on all kinds of social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're on threads now as well. 
Um, you can also find us on Discord. Uh, all of our uh, episodes now, those of you who are listening, are, are being uploaded to uh, YouTube as well. So we have a YouTube presence with some videos. Um, and then we also, uh, you can listen to all the podcasts there as well nowadays. Uh, we also have a shop, which uh, we've had for a long time uh, with, uh, you know, shirts and merchandise. We are in the waning hours of your ability to buy 25th anniversary uh, stuff. I think that closes in about a week. So if you want to get your hands in some of that sweet, sweet 25th anniversary merch, check it out there. And also, you can buy our review card book, um, which is uh, super cool. I've got I'm looking at a couple of copies of it right now. Uh, 300 pages of our review cards, uh, which is something that uh, I never thought I'd saw my name, see my name in print for RPGs, but here we are. And uh, we also have two other podcasts, uh, Random Encounter, usually hosted by John O. Logan, about randomness, about current events. Uh, I believe you might hear Alex on that pretty soon here. Um, and also Rhythm Encounter, about RPG music, uh, usually on the other two weeks of the two weeks that uh, Random Encounter is on, usually hosted by Mike Salbato and often by Hillary Andriff. Uh, you can review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever they call it now. I don't know, Spotify. Uh, you can find us in lots of different places, and we love feedback. Um, but before we sign off, let's talk about where we can reach the different panelists, starting with you, Ben. Uh, yeah, you can email me at uh, benloganlove at gmail.com. And Alex. You can email me at alexfranacek at gmail.com. I love that none of us have real social media presences. Uh, <laughs> I, you can also email me, uh, ZachW at RPGFan.com. Um, you can also find me on RPG Fans Discord. ZachW, if you ping me there, I will see it. So yeah, that's it, everybody. Uh, I really enjoyed, uh, even though I didn't love uh, uh, my my opening hours, that I respected them, I enjoyed them. I'm curious to see what else I can discover and what else I can find. Uh, maybe uh, this game is criticizing me and my god complex as an RPG player a little bit. It's <laughs> <laughs> like I want to I want to fight some stuff. Um, but no, it's uh, it's an interesting experience, and I'm really glad I'm getting the chance to play it and chat about it with uh, you guys. So uh, thank you, everybody. Good night and good luck. Mm-hmm.